0: everyone should begin with the question not what did you do to deserve xyz but what happened to you if we can approach every human being with that perspective of i wonder what happened to you we will all be kinder human beings
1: this is open to explore the fbc athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life I'm your host, Frank Granger, Minister of Christian Community. Our series, Meet Your Community, aims to deepen our awareness of community needs and meet some of the people and organizations working daily to meet those needs. Hopefully, we can begin to envision ways to use our skills and resources personally and collectively to help in meeting those needs. Movies are known to depict sex trafficking with fearful kidnapping scenes and sinister abductors. Entrapment in this industry, a business our guest today calls organized crime, occurs more often through calculated and patient grooming. Divas Who Win is a recovery community organization in Athens dedicated to providing community, Resources, best practices, and a framework for women making the journey of recovery from the bonds of sex trade and oftentimes addiction to a new life of hope and wholeness. Today we meet Shonda Santana, the founder of Divas Who Win. Shonda Santana, welcome and thank you for making time to join me and our listeners to share your story and the love that you have for the women you serve. I remember driving on Hawthorne Avenue one day a few years ago and passing by a building and there were people gathered out and there was a banner, I think there were balloons too, and the banner read, Divas Who Win. And I Mm -hmm. remember thinking, I wonder what that is. (laughs) I also remember having the feeling, not knowing what it is, that it felt positive and it felt empowering. One thing among the many that I did not know is that I would be sitting here with you today. (laughs) And I've come to learn a little bit more about Divas Who Win. And while it is definitely positive and empowering, it is so much more. So I want to begin by talking about Divas Who Win and what happens there and its mission. But I think in order to do that, it's really paramount that we get to know Shonda Santana Mm -hmm. a little bit as well. It's hard to separate those two things. (laughs)
0: That's right.
1: So let me share this one sentence in some materials that you gave me, and then I'll just simply invite you to take it from there. Okay. Survivor of childhood trauma, domestic violence, commercial sexual exploitation, addiction, and poverty— Shonda gathered her life experience and coupled it with her faith, and as a result, carries the message of hope and resilience to those who face similar challenges. Wow. So tell me a little bit about Shonda and Divas Who Win.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for um, having me here today in this platform to um, not just share my story, but really to share the story of thousands of women that I've encountered over the years. Um, so that preemptive sentence, <laughs> it really is Shonda on paper. Like that's my history. I've, I say my story in various timelines. So 27 years ago, I walked away from the sex trade and that's that commercial sexual exploitation piece. Uh, almost 18 years to the day, I found mm-hmm. freedom from substance use. And then congratulations. Um, yes, thank you. And there's another part of my story that we'll get into, I'm sure. But who who are the divas? The divas are women who really share that description that you opened up this podcast with. We are women who are trauma survivors. We are women that most people may feel weren't given a fair chance at life, had lots of interruptions, many of those against our will. But I say that we are women who were given this beautiful opportunity for redemption. We are women that get to be God's glory in the earth, you know, because although I consider myself to be On the intelligence scale, I'm not at the highest end, but I'm certainly not at the bottom. (laughs) Uh, But there is no intelligence. There's no strategic plan. There's just no way I could have worked my way out of the muck and the mire that, that I was in. And so many of the women that join us here in this mission share very similar stories.
1: So when I drove by, how many years ago was that? When did you start? There on Hawthorne.
0: We began on Hawthorne, it has been four years ago.
1: Very well. So four years ago, just ahead of the pandemic.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Getting yes. your feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Correct. So what happens in that building mm-hmm. uh, with Divas Who Win?
0: What I share with the community, especially when community members swing by to just take a tour is that we try to hug women from the parking lot. So something that you will notice if you do travel that route is at least four times a year, the door will be a different color. It will be themed according to the season with different decorations on the porch because it takes courage for a woman to either walk into that parking lot and decide to knock on the door and come in or to drive herself or be dropped off there. So inside of the building, Our whole mission is to create a safe space that destroys stigma and restores dignity to women who are overcoming, um, navigating their way through substance use disorder, sexual exploitation, and those who consider themselves to be sex trafficking survivors. And so in the building, um, all of our services are free. We have created what's considered eight connection suites. So some women arrive at divas not fully understanding what our mission is, but they just are seeking community. That really is the most common denominator that all of us have, 2 prong trauma survivors and women seeking community. So we understand that as mothers, probably 75% of our population are mothers, the shame and the guilt that comes along with a, a previous sexual exploitation history, even if it was out of your own control, as well as substance use or misuse disorder, we come with a certain amount of shame and guilt, you know, wrapped around that. So it's a hard mission to just step into. So we have created other ways to just attract women and have conversations so we offer a free boutique within the, the headquarters where women are allowed to shop their first time they're there. Um, they have a personal shopping guide with them, another woman in long-term recovery, where they can shop for two full outfits from the earrings to the necklace to the shoes. Uh, and then the women are invited to come back and shop once per month in addition to that. They don't have to provide us with proof of a court date or an interview—just um, the fact that they're there's enough for us. So that's one of our suites. We also have the um, sweet spot art lounge because we understand that some trauma has no words. So women go upstairs and just create. They can paint, they can do other types of arts and crafts. That room also operates as a safe space for supervised visits with children. Some women are engaged in the Department of Family and Children's Services here in our county and are in this process of being reunified with their children. Typically, those types of supervised visits happen in some stale, pale institution or at a local Chick-fil-A, Burger King, that type of thing. But the women are not surrounded by their own community. They are feeling as though... Does anyone know that I have this peer supervisor over here watching me that I've lost custody of my child, you know? So the art spot, women get to bump into other women in recovery while they're in their supervised visit. We also have a massage lounge that we demonstrate or provide trauma-informed massage, and that's through a partnership with a local massage school here in town. We offer 24 hours a month of guided, trauma-informed massage with a clinical supervisor because many women have never experienced a healthy touch and been mm-hmm. in a safe space. And massage is so therapeutic to rid the body of trauma. Um, so it's, it's it paramount that women kind of hit this disease from a lot of angles. And so that's another connection suite. The room that most of our collaborative partners walk into as soon as they get there, we call it the leisure services room. It just depends on the day of the week that you visit, how electric that space is. (laughs) So that is the space that has our peer coaches on deck and ready to engage boundless pots of coffee or hot tea. And the women just hang out there. Some of them consider it a home away from home. We then have a she works work lab so we have a pretty robust workforce development plan and that space there you'd be surprised that the women who are seeking employment really don't know where to start they don't have resume paper the barrier of even coming up with a dollar and 25 cent at the library to print these documents and they don't know how to connect the Printer to the computer, you know, all these things that can get in the way and slow a person down. So we have a work lab suite. And let's see, we have a community kitchen there for women. We have some providers in the community that help us supplement some of the food deserts here in Athens. We have a mini laundry center there at Divas because. 30% of our women are unhoused. These are women that are living at the local shelters or perhaps just in one of the encampments or in the woods. So three days a week they can come there and um, we provide everything they need to do their laundry. We also have a self-care shower suite. And that is because unhoused women, they want to be clean and take care of their hygiene as well, although it may not appear so at times. And they really want to do that in a gender specific space. You Mm -hmm. know, there are some other resources here in town where both genders can come, but women really want to share that space with other women. So we make sure they have the top-of-the-line body scrubs, just sort of luxury, what, what women in the, these circumstances may consider to be luxury items. We then have a Field of Dreams room. This is where we dream with women about their next steps. So it's like a, a diva conference space. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, we have what we just uh, affectionately consider to be the living room. I call it the upper room because uh, that's where our faith meetings happen. That's where we kind of do our most intimate connections with women, and it it normally involves a faith aspect. Um, so the living room has a library so women can come and check out books. It has a small napping lounge there for those who just need a little rest from the elements outside. And then we have our larger groups in that space as well. So that's kind of the portfolio or menu, if you will, um, in terms of what goes on behind that purple or red or hot pink door to Divas Who Win.
1: So what color is the door right now?
0: Right now, it is a beautiful teal turquoise uh, color with pumpkins and owls on the front porch. Very fitting. Yes.
1: You know, the word holistic care mm. takes on a real different and. In- full meaning when I hear you talk about what goes on there. You really are providing very much a holistic approach to what these people need. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because you know the the lie I believe that women, um, what we believe about ourselves, when we are either in some toxic cycle of self-destruction that may involve sexual exploitation, that may involve substances, as we lose our worth with every transaction, um, we begin to feel as though we don't deserve beautiful things, that we're not worthy to sit on antique couches, you mm. know, that type of thing. So, our goal holistically began with painting that door, just saying, what's one way before a woman even gets to this porch that she might be attracted to this space or just can take a deep breath, like, oh, I'm, I'm walking into something beautiful. And we have diffusers in each of our connection suites with essential oils. So there's some rooms that need to be a more calming atmosphere. So you're going to smell eucalyptus and lavender. There are other rooms, the electrified leisure services usually has a tangerine scent. <laughs> you know, we've just done the science behind yeah. the oils to just try to penetrate multiple ways to begin bringing hope back to a woman. You've talked
1: about shame Mm -hmm. that people carry. I attended your Flapjacks for Freedom breakfast back in September. Mm -hmm. And the stories that you had women share, one of those common threads was the shame that Mm -hmm. they carry. Talk a little bit about that and how that is so impactful and fundamental in how you approach their um, transitioning mm-hmm. from that life to uh, a more life of freedom.
0: Right. Um, so when I think about shame, I think about uh, the, the enemy scheme, his plan for shame, um, is it silos you, right? Like shame is isolating. Yeah. Shame is not something that most folks walk around discussing openly. That's something you say for your rabbi, your pastor, your counselor, you know. So shame is isolating. So as we come against isolation through the power of community, that's one of the ways that women begin to shed the shame is because the finger begins to point away from themselves and they see, oh, this didn't happen just to me. So one of the questions that we ask, we believe that every institution, every place of business, everyone should begin with the question, not what did you do to deserve X, Y, Z, but what happened to you? If we can approach every human being with that perspective of, I wonder what happened to you. We will all be kinder human beings, even the person who's honking their horn behind you, you know, <laughs> at the red light. I wonder what's happening for them right now. Maybe their wife is in labor. Maybe their son just went to jail. Maybe he just was laid off, you know, after 20 years of serving his corporation, you know. So I'm circling back around to that shame. The shame isolates, so we combat it with a community atmosphere, and when women can begin to shed the shame, they can begin to receive love. Like shame is a fortress, it mm. really builds, it hides you. You feel like everyone can still see some of the things that happened to you. And it's hard to get beyond that fortress because the fortress says you are dirty you should be disgusted with yourself, no one will ever love you, you are a terrible mother, your children would be better off without you. You know, shame just has this narrative that just plays incessantly in one's mind and soul even. So you really cannot take a passive approach to shedding, you know, we say we dismantle stigma and shame. So when I think about dismantling something, I think about a sledgehammer and a demolition team. You know, you go in, you have to deconstruct what has been constructed. And so we watch women along their journeys. Flapjacks for Freedom, those three brave women that were there for the Q&A panel, that was a widespread demolition against shame that day because they were dressed beautifully they were in a beautiful atmosphere and there were 50 60 people quietly sitting there weeping with them and their pain celebrating their stories as they were able to be presented with their letterman jackets and that was like a huge leap to dismantle the, the shame. Freedom came, you know, when you can yeah. tear down that fortress of shame, then the light can begin to, to come in, and that is the light of love and freedom.
1: Their stories were very moving, and something else that I noticed is with each of them, they had been working with you and your program not just for a month or two, yeah, but for multiple years, and you could still feel mm. and see in their faces that struggle with shedding shame mm-hmm. that they felt. Um, that's a long process.
0: Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a journey. You know, it really is a journey. Um, if if only there were these um, magic wands that we could strike at one time and pull the trauma out and be done with it, but We were given what we were given in this life, and only through the grace of God and his just beautiful, tender mercies can we truly uh, find freedom. And so what you saw were just women, some were four years into their journey, some five, some six years, and so for a girl who may have began her journey of shame through some you know, possible abuse at the age of five or six, who's now thirty-five. Yeah, she five years in, she's still on on that journey. And and so that is kind of the key ingredient uh, when the community approaches me with the question of what do these women need, Shonda? And and how can you how can we be part of this narrative that helps heal survivors of human trafficking? And it really is, it's not the Facebook post that says there was a sting at this hotel and 34 trafficking victims were rescued, or maybe so, you know, but what about the day after? So Mm -hmm. if, if only the communities could understand that that moment is golden. I'll never forget the day that my daughter was rescued I'll live with that date burned, seared inside of myself, but I do also understand what it's felt like walking with her for six years. and you know we're we're still traveling down that football field, so it's a journey.
1: Yeah, I remember you said that day that, as you remembered that particular day and that it was golden, mm-hmm. that that was not the end. Right. That was only the beginning.
0: Correct.
1: And for some of us on the outside, mm-hmm. and I really do mean the outside of this, we may think of that as, oh, it's finally over. Right. But you pointed out that, oh, no, it's just beginning.
0: Right. It, it truly is because when I think about my own journey um, from sexual exploitation and then from the substance freedom You know, there was like a 10-year gap in there alone, and when I think about who I was 26, 27 years ago to today, it's just a marked difference, and I think any of us can consider our own journeys in life and the things that we've overcome it, it is, can't be contained in just a moment. It just is impossible for any of us, any trial, any tribulation. Maybe it's a divorce for someone. Maybe it's the loss of a child or a parent. These are these moments in time that no one can rock that date out of yourself, you know. So it's it's the same here. It, it just is a journey.
1: I've heard you talk uh, today about a couple of different things. I hear the term sex trade
0: Mm.
1: and I hear the term sex trafficking. Are they the same thing? What is the distinction between the sex trade and sex trafficking?
0: I would say if I could draw that to one word, the word would be control so, in the sex trade, you know, when I'm asked, "Well, how did you enter the sex trade at seventeen years old?" And I simply say, um, it was my childhood trauma that really just prepared such fertile ground uh, for me to be somewhat lured in, but all of my my own control, I was in the sex trade, so there was not another party that had control over my calendar um over my budget over my revenue, I was in control of that. Now, there were times that traumatic things happened and I lost control for a moment, for an hour, for a day. But for the most part, I was in control. Whereas sex trafficking, there is another party that has coercive control and oftentimes manipulation. So the distinction between my experience and my daughter's experience When my daughter was actually trafficked at the age of 17, just like I entered sex trade at the age of 17, there was never a dollar that landed in her hand. Um, She was under the constant threat and pressure of adults that had power, control, and wielded violence over these teams of girls that they worked with. So there are times that the sex trade and trafficking intersect if a girl or a woman is being coerced and manipulated to work in a strip club, you may visit the strip club thinking that these are all adult women when oftentimes they're not. And you may also think, well, she has say so and control over her body. I'm paying for this service. Um, but what you don't know is that behind the scene, that same woman is really a 15 year old girl and that they're, is a female trafficker sitting there in that space, and she is being worked six hours or eight hours in the club, and then she's being transported to a motel right after that and working until 9 or 10 a.m. the next morning. So that's the intersection. In the trade, there may be some freestanding individuals, such as myself, that no one has control. I can leave at any time. And there could also be someone like my daughter who's passing for an adult, but really there is a trafficker in that space that's going to collect the money, going to tell them when they can sleep, going to withhold food and nutrition from them and exploit them through labor as well.
1: Sex trafficking, we hear some news stories about that. Mm -hmm. Some of the sex trafficking appears to be stuff that happens with other countries and people bringing folks in. I remember a few years ago, almost 10 years ago, I was in Houston and I was visiting there in a church. They were partnering with some community services and agencies to put on a seminar, experiential seminar about the sex trafficking in Houston. We toured a few places kind of in a dry run where those things occurred and then touring some places that were doing work similar to yours of helping people make the transition out. One of the comments was that Houston and Atlanta were kind of the top two cities mm-hmm. for sex trafficking. But in reading your book about the Genesis experience, it seemed to open up that it doesn't just happen in the large cities. Right. Your daughter was caught up in sex trafficking, but your daughter was here in Athens? hmm So, where does Athens fit in this picture? Does it happen here?
0: Well, absolutely. I always say anytime there's any degree of... Um, it doesn't even require affluence, but affluence is a driving denominator because as long as there are the means to meet the needs, so mm. that the market is warm because there are buyers... And buyers, when they have opportunity and affluence, then trafficking, it accelerates. So when it is game day here at the stadium and there are affluent individuals in town on a corporate Amex card and they are entertaining and having fun, um, sometimes sex work happens, you know, and not each and every time do buyers know that they are buying minors. Now there are, in fact, some very sick individuals that prefer it that way, but oftentimes they don't know. They just want girls and want to have a good time. So trafficking, I don't know that there's a community that's unscathed by it because poverty is also a driver in terms of vulnerabilities. So anytime you can find a pocket of either a youth that aspires for more than what she has right now or is just so desperate to get out of what her current circumstances, then you have amplified those vulnerabilities, and traffickers are just very skilled at identifying the vulnerabilities. And with a 15-, 16-year-old brain that still needs another 10 years to fully develop, girls often don't know what they are getting themselves Involved in and what I have found in my research is that areas like Athens, Stevens County, Banks County, that are far removed from the city of Atlanta, where the conversation around trafficking is just really not happening, then parents aren't preparing children around make sure you do XYZ because trafficking is prevalent because they think that trafficking is only happening in Indonesia, you know.
1: In your little book, which is very powerful, Mm. it's eye-opening, you tell this story that is a very personal story of your daughter and your experience with that. The poem Mm. that is there at the beginning, I would like to read just a couple of excerpts because they hit on that theme as well as uh, give us an opportunity to maybe talk about some other things that would help us pay better attention and tap into the feelings. I'm not in Indonesia, Tokyo, India. I'm in wide open, plain sight. You can't see me? I wonder, will anybody come calling for me? Search for me? Rescue me off these streets, highways, byways, suburbs, stadiums, mansions. We are everywhere but nowhere. And then a little later, it um, continues that. Why am I here? I should be at junior prom. Girls sleepover, gymnastic practice. How did I get here? Oh, yeah, I forgot. You didn't know. None of you knew that I was hiding in plain sight. Getting broke in, broke down, groomed into a revenue-generating machine, not prom queen. You weren't looking for me, because commercials say it's all going down overseas. Mm -hmm. Those are some very powerful words that bring to attention that we are looking at people and not knowing that they're trapped.
0: Right, Right, which is the power of education and awareness. Uh, when my daughter was trafficked, which was six years ago, I'd been working in this field of substance use where 30% of the women that encountered the rehab, I worked for a rehab, they were rescues. They came from a larger organization in Atlanta So even myself personally, I was looking through a different lens in terms of what vulnerabilities look like because the bulk of these women, many times the the common denominator for them were substances, family members, or some intimate partner that Mm -hmm. they had. So maybe they fell in love with a guy and he wielded his power manipulation And then she felt indebted, and before she knew it, she was just being sold all over. Or maybe the mother had um, a substance use disorder, made a transaction with her own daughter when she was 8 or 10 years old, and that set forth this um, atomic bomb that resulted in a severe substance use disorder for the young girl who's now becoming a woman, And that sexual trauma that she experienced as a girl just is that fertile ground, you know, uh, for trafficking. That's the lens I was looking through. So by the time I landed um, myself 18 years ago at a rehab, I was 10 years removed from any type of naughty life, (laughs) I would say, other than um, my disorder was a dependence on pain pills That even in there, I just feel I I had a certain amount of grace over my life because I never, I was never lured into, manipulated by my own brain into prescription trade offs or anything like that. So I was mostly, almost completely an upstanding citizen that was medicating my trauma and didn't have a way Mm -hmm. out. But as far as the children, my children, which I have six, were concerned. The only thing I was watching out for for my daughter was that I understood that this newfound pimp culture had emerged, you know, uh, and I knew that from the time that she was about 12 years old, especially in my black and brown communities. There Mm -hmm. was just this extreme attraction from videos, pop culture to where girls were just being exploited all the time and they were beginning to aspire to be dancers and strippers, so I I was always very cognizant of that. I didn't understand how pervasive sex trafficking was from within a strip club setting, had no Mm. idea. And so after the time I reached rehab, I was not on the lookout for online predators. I felt like I kept a very watchful eye Over my daughter, I was not asleep anymore. I had been delivered from the substance use disorder. So I literally didn't see it coming.
1: Yeah. Mm. Your little book has some interesting, very informative little facts that you have placed in there at the end of your little short chapters that really help educate about that. I wonder, what are some of the misconceptions and assumptions that we have that you feel like would be helpful for us to correct?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so one, that it's a big, bad, scary man. <laughs> like, you know, you look out for the scary-looking guy um, when, in fact, smart traffickers leverage female recruiters. And uh, so it may not be a man. Mm. Think about anyone, no matter how vile they end up being they tend to have this gift of charisma yeah you know they they just have this innate way of influencing and attracting attention so many traffickers in fact are beautiful in terms of physicality you know they are attractive men they are charismatic you like having a conversation with them you are drawn into whatever their story is so I would say that's one of the first things to not so much look, please stop looking for the white van without windows. <laughs> you know, that would be one. Two, that girls are kidnapped into trafficking. Now, in fact, at times this is the case. Yeah. But many times trafficking happens through familiar familial or familiar relationships. There's someone involved that already has an established trust. Or the trafficker has invested that time, and maybe he's groomed this girl for nine months, a year, two years. You know, oftentimes that happens state to state, where a girl meets who she thinks a 15-year-old boy online, and really he's a 35-year-old trafficker, and that takes time to nurture that relationship so that she finally says yes to the bus ticket at Greyhound or the Delta Airline ticket. Because now she's been wooed and fallen in love and is, you know, traveling across the state, not knowing what's getting ready to happen. So that would be another misconception, this kidnapping aspect. To piggyback on kidnapping, many times you would think that these girls don't have access to phones and that they're kept shut away someplace. They have no freedom to come and go as they please But we have to really um, hone in on the fact that we are almost in 2024. Technology has advanced. Business practices have have advanced. So one thing that I really like to uh, amplify is that trafficking is organized crime. Mm. There is an org chart in place from the CFO to the CEO to mid-managers to all the way to the bottom to just laborers, you know. And we have to think the way we do as business practitioners. This is an ever-evolving business that generates more and more revenue every year. So they are advancing alongside of the rest of society. So therefore, they leverage their own labor. So girls keep their phones. They are taught how to set up their own dates and locations to meet dates. And that was surprising to me because I thought there'll be no way for my daughter to contact me. Yeah. When in fact, I talked to her almost every day um, for a while before I finally took me about three weeks to really see through what felt like smoke and mirrors. And um, really, I think through the intuition of the Holy Spirit, I finally realized, oh, something really bad Is happening here. Because even for me, the word sex trafficking was was akin to the work that I did. So I was meeting this work every day at work, just not knowing, oh, look at home to see how this happened. And so that's why parents are caught by surprise because you think, you know, we own a home in Oconee County and I sing on my church choir and my husband is on the deacon board. We're a two-parent household, you know. We make six figures a year, and you really feel no need to discuss sex trafficking because mm. you just don't think it could ever touch you.
1: But it's important to have those conversations.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Very much so. One of the statistics I came across in your material uh, is about DMST, domestic minor sex trafficking, and... What I read was that 91% of domestic minor sex trafficking victims in Georgia, not nationally, in Georgia, 91% of them are enrolled in school at the time of exploitation. Right. That is startling.
0: They are. There's just this underground culture. I think society believes that these are mostly for lack of a better term, this is not trauma-informed at all, what I'm getting ready to say, but they are runaway, throwaway kids. Yeah. That's what the general society, and I think we do that just out of human nature. Like, nobody wants to think about a 7-, 8-, 16-year-old being trafficked, or even a 58-year-old, you mm-hmm. know. We have to turn our heads away from that because it is just – despicable, you know, and so if we can put a filter up to disorient ourselves and detach from the reality, our human nature is gonna do that just automatically. And so we don't realize, you know, how again that word pervasive this this happens. So these girls are in school, you know, many, many of them are and the question may come up well, why aren't they telling their teachers that this is happening? Why don't they go to the school counselor? Many of them don't even inform their friends that this is going on, because let's go back to the beginning of this broadcast. Shame is a fortress. Yeah. So these girls are so riddled with shame. Chances are they've been manipulated and coerced into this. This may have started I call it the Romeo pimp. It may have started through some type of attraction. Many times, you know, online, some things have already happened that they're ashamed of. Maybe not that full sexual act, but now they're possibly being blackmailed. The trafficker has learned about their life. Mm -hmm. The trafficker knows that daddy's on the deacon board and mama's on the choir and that Mm -hmm. they don't get home until 6 p.m. and that from 2.30 till 5 She's at the local motel earning money. That's being leveraged over her head now. So she's so ashamed, not even her friends know that this is what's happening um, behind the scenes.
1: Well, thankfully, Divas Who Win exists to help bring transformation to people. I really think of what your work is that your work is salvation. Mm. It really has that kind of impact. I know you have many stories you could draw from, but would you tell us a little about some of the story of one or two of your folks who have found a new life?
0: Well, I will call this person Miss A. Okay. Miss A began coming to our facility about three years ago. Miss A has four children. At that time, three years ago, they would have been a set of twins that were 16 and then a four year old, a five year old and a 10 year old. Miss A is 35 years old and really spent 20 years in active substance use.
1: Started at 15
0: mm-hmm. mm. and um, lots of, lots of trauma. Um, even the way her set of twins were born into this world, extreme, extreme trauma, uh, however, Miss A had a very loving and godly mother that adopted the children at birth almost, and just sort of watched her daughter travel this path of de- of self destruction. Uh, Miss A became involved in sex work because it was a way for her to survive while she was out there, and so we have watched Miss A over the last three years. Never tried recovery, had almost a year in recovery and then had what we call a setback. We don't really like the word relapse because there's so much shame and pointing of the finger of you. There was an error as opposed to where the brain has misfired, and you had a setback, but we can get right back on track. Miss A really didn't understand. That's one of the things about the mission at Divas. Women don't understand trafficking or even sexual exploitation. They don't understand the connection between the person dealing the drugs and requiring 10 sexual acts for his friend they can't make that connection again because of that fortress of shame yeah like shame on me and my mother I should not be a, a IV heroin user So with that said, Miss a had a setback for six weeks a little over two years ago but because that recovery in the community of divas existed she was a very frequent. She's there two or three days a week at Divas, considering it her pathway, learning what happened to her and where this sexual exploitation, the role it played. And we resourced her, helped her get back into a short-term treatment program to get her feet back solid. And it was the perfect time because shortly after she became sober again, her mother passed away. Mm. So suddenly after really never having been a a true active day-to-day mom, she is left with this home that she has to take care of. She is left with four children with their own degrees of trauma, and she needs to hold on to her sobriety. So I would be happy to report that today Miss A has two years and maybe two months of sobriety, we just did a community outreach to help with some, a, a lot of the thing. Her mother left her a paid-for home mm-hmm. um, as a legacy for the grandchildren. But, again, not having those life skills and just sort of coming out of a very long sleep, it was piling up on her. She didn't know what to do, but, you know, the community responded. Her ha- home is being repaired in various ways. She is showing up for the school meetings with her children, they are in school, the others are in therapy, and she is one of our interns now with one of our mm. programs that we have at Divas. So on paper, it really doesn't make logical sense how this woman can parent four children transport them where they need to go, keep her sobriety, take on the full. It's like she woke up and now life just landed in her lap, you know, but we've watched her maintain that her mother's been gone almost two years now, but we've watched Miss A have the community of divas and offer that peer support when she's there to the woman that's on two days, you know, of sobriety. And really, I think what I enjoy most for her life as a mother to be able to shed some of that guilt and shame around the sexual exploitation because there were multiple people involved over the years. And she, until as recently as maybe 18 months ago, took full ownership for that. Didn't understand. No, there was another person, actually several, operating, manipulating, coercing you in this situation. So she's quite honestly still on that path of learning more and more about what happened to her.
1: Such a, such a powerful story of hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's really beautiful. You talk about community and the importance of community for your women. You're in a community. Talk about how we as community, can be helpful to your organization. How can a place like First Baptist Church, any congregation, how can we be a supportive part of your community?
0: Well, I think there's a few things. One of the intangibles would be education, really, like what you're doing right now, this platform, in this hour, people will learn more about sex trafficking than perhaps they've ever learned before. Um, we really have the, sort of this clarion call out to our faith communities and our human service field uh, at the university to learn more about sex trafficking. You can do that a few ways. We call it different tiers of time investment. We actually have a walk-through immersion experience where other church teams have brought their staff through. You really invest about an hour and a half to have a focus group. You walk through this immersion, maybe even similar to what you described in Houston. There's seven rooms that you walk through with a set of headphones on and an MP3 player. And you are immersed in the storyline of a survivor for 35 minutes. Mm learning these seven phases of trafficking. And after everyone walks through, then we just gather in the art room and unpack the story, just talk about what comes up for people, what did they learn, and then how can we as an agency continue to improve this immersion experience because our goal for that immersion experience one year from now is to mobilize it. We would like to mobilize it. But for now, our goal is for 500 different sets of feet to walk through that experience um, and we're at 223 right now today so that that's a low level investment of time 90 minutes you know to go through that experience and then what we found is some faith communities and some educators at the university after the experience then want the actual training which is a two-hour DMST domestic minor sex trafficking training uh, where we come in to the church um, staff and have the PowerPoint and the slides and the Q&A. So there's, like, levels of the education. That third level is what we call our public art. And you were there to see the art that yeah. we had on the stage. We have mobilized that project now. So where me, as the founder, I will come out to that faith community for an hour. And with the mobilized art, to because to me, that is – those three pictures show the journey of a survivor. and then we present the mission, some education around sex trafficking. So that's like the first level. are those three pronged ways of education? A second opportunity around some of our events, the major two or one that you've already participated, our annual pancake breakfast that always happens in the month of, uh, September, where you get to meet a panel of survivors that have engaged in our services and learn more. We also have a beautiful event. Um, I probably discussed this with you when you toured our facility called Joy Fest. Every year, this is the sixth annual Joy Fest where we partner with churches to help provide toys for the children um, of the mothers that are engaged. And this year, Feliz Navidad is the theme. We'll have a mariachi (laughs) band um, and the moms get to shop for their kids. And most of these moms are in treatment or perhaps they may be at um, a safe house right outside of Athens right now. So we're always looking for five or six faith partners that'll commit to a hundred toys of collecting those to help us. There's lots of expenses that go into that event, but the part that we feel like churches really enjoy is it feels great to go shop for that toy as opposed to renting a tent for us, you know, so. (laughs) It's um, so much
1: fun to shop for toys. It is,
0: and kids get involved in that, you know, they let their children. It's a good family experience. Absolutely. So Joy Fest, um, six years going um, forward is uh, an event that happens. So those are our two events that we're always looking Mm -hmm. for partnership. And then from just a volunteer, you know, within the agency, we do have a thrift store. So we found that communities really rally around being able to drop off donations to our facility and those who are in that space and time of life where they can commit three hours a month to working over at our thrift store, enjoy doing that as well.
1: So you can volunteer working in the thrift store. You can. Mm-hmm. As well as donate clothing?
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Last year, uh, the city of Athens donated nearly 10,000 garments wow. um, to our agency. I think it was 9,832 9, garments. And it's just one way that small groups gather around. We had a church. I'm not even sure which one delivered like 35 purses filled with self-care that's their annual drive they the pocketbooks so that we can sell those back in the boutique and then the self-care items for our ladies
1: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's a really creative fun idea with the pocketbooks. Yeah, she yeah.
0: dropped them off yesterday four boxes full.
1: So how do we just bring stuff by or make contact with you ahead of time?
0: So we receive donations at our headquarters at 645 Hawthorne Avenue Monday through Thursday, 10 to 4. But also, some people do like to call. We've had people bring donations from South Carolina, you know, to us. Trailers dropped off with clothes. Someone's closing out a boutique or something. Had a parent uh, who was really engaged in domestic violence advocacy who may have passed and left behind her whole wardrobe of being a uh, principal at a school, that type of thing. So when you have a larger donation, we do recommend that you call us first to make sure that we're ready to accept it. But otherwise, there is a doorbell on our porch. You don't need to ring it. Like if you show up there 10 to 4, just walk right in, and we are ready to help unload, write the tax receipt, and we take it from there.
1: One other thing at your September event that you announced was – Project 49. Mm -hmm. So tell us what Project 49 is.
0: So Project 49, uh, when my daughter was rescued by the FBI, she was both recruited with and rescued with her best friend. And they were number 50 and 51 from the same sex trafficking family. It was a family of traffickers. And the reason we know this is because In the federal database, this family and their home location pinged their system 51 times. Mm. And at one point, there was a girl attached to each of those pings, so to speak. And so we don't know what happened to the other 49. We just know that it took four years of tracking along with the FBI and the GBI with multiple interviews, multiple agencies supporting my daughter and her best friend to finally find some justice, which was 20 years federal prison time for two of the traffickers. We don't even know how many were involved, but these were cousins within this family. The mother and the sister did not face any charges for their participation. Um, So we often think about kind of that survivor's guilt, right? You know, that the 49 didn't have the support of their community, maybe didn't have the family support, most likely just became recirculated out there in that atmosphere of trafficking. And so in honor of the 49 that we don't, we just have question mark, question mark, dot, 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 We have this project that allows us to talk about the victory of two that were rescued, made it out, and are moving forward with their lives, but in honor of the 49 that we don't, helping to support missions like Divas Who Win that are supporting survivors. So there's ways that you can, if you're a college student, you can donate $4.90 on Cash App you can donate $49 or 149 So we have each of those donations tied to a program there at Divas Who Win.
1: Very good. I could talk with you all day. <laughs> I, I enjoy talking with you and learning from you. I very much appreciate all your time, but I especially appreciate the work that you do. It's very personal work for you, isn't it?
0: Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. I'm them, you know, that's what I I sometimes get fancied up and wear bright red lipstick and, (laughs) you know, cute glasses with leopard print frames, but I'm them, you know, I I am the woman that that I serve. God has just so, so graciously sort of preserved me is is how I feel. Uh, I've been preserved to do this work. And so I'll take my last breath Mm -hmm. doing this exact thing.
1: Well, you're an inspiration, and I know you are a deep inspiration for all these women. Thank you. I have a few fun questions. Okay. Let's Little do lightning it. round questions. All right. Mountains or beach? Beach. When it comes to barbecue, pork or brisket? Brisket. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Backyard party or black tie gala?
0: Black tie, for sure.
1: Good for you. <laughs> now, this is a really odd question to ask you. So we're going to take one subset and just leave that off. Okay. What is the most unusual job you've ever had?
0: Let's see. Uh, okay, I know. And I'm so proud of this job. Well, it's a, it was unusual for me, so... At one point, um, sort of transitioning to build this nonprofit, I was in between work but needed something really, really flexible because I was building a nonprofit. So I joined a team here in Athens of this cleaning company, and they just procured um, the Coca-Cola warehouse. I forget. It's so off of, I don't know where it, where it is now, on the east side, I believe. So I really like connected with the guy who was the owner of it's Athens cleaning company. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I love him so much Josh Melton and he for some reason had this passion around sex trafficking, had no idea that I had that story. So we took almost two hours in our interview. The other person's out in the hallway waiting. (laughs) Um, but anyway, I was like, okay, yes, I want, you know, he said, you can listen to podcasts while you're cleaning and, It's an autonomous atmosphere. Seems like you need that. They do personality tests and everything. Oh, wow. So I took the job, but didn't know where I'd clean, you know? And when I pulled up to the address and saw that it was a warehouse, and then I go inside and see that there's like 16 bathrooms, 30 cubicles, 16 or 18 offices, plus two big, huge warehouse spaces Do you want to know what I did? What'd you do? I went in the bathroom, called my mother crying like me, this warrior (laughs) in this space of human trafficking. I cried because I thought I cannot do this there. And I mean, cleaning it alone also, there's no team. It's just me because I made such a connection with the CEO. I did not want to fail. And I did not want to call him and say, you picked the wrong person so what I did was kept the job, and before he tells this story to like all his teams, I'll give you the end of the story. I think I did the job for maybe four four to six months, but then it was time to give birth to divas. Just my personality came out at the job. I created a infographic, laminated on every cleaning cart with the route and the steps to how to most efficiently, because you made the same pay no matter what. And I was about the time that it took. yeah And the owners of the building started saying, no one has ever cleaned this building in an hour and 45 minutes. Are you, are you sure that we're hitting all the markers? Because this is a six-hour job. So I raced myself every day until I got it to that hour and 45 minutes. And I had the map of how to do it and 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 Josh laughs about never in the history of their company <laughs> has someone created a rubric for the most time efficient way and that the client they've just never had a client so excited about the work so i would consider that to be unusual my days of cleaning the coca-cola building
1: <laughs> what a great story <laughs> <laughs> Shonda Santana, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you, and thank you for taking this time and sharing about your work and your life.
0: Well, thank you. Honored to be here.
1: You can find an Amazon link to purchase Shonda's book, The Genesis Experience, in the show notes. Visit their website, Divas Who Win, for additional information on the organization. Consider taking the immersion tour to learn more. Donate clothing to the boutique. Participate in this year's Joy Fest, themed Feliz Navidad. You can support in so many ways, and I encourage you to share this podcast with friends, family, and others you know who are interested in supporting the courageous work of these women. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next week to meet Grace Bagwell Adams and the Athens Well-Being Project. This is Open to Explore, the FBC Athens podcast featuring conversations at the intersection of faith and life.